and welcome to our podcast. We are The Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cine nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Hello, hello, hello. The premise of our show is simple. For each week, we have carefully picked two films, which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find what their common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, the golden age of Hollywood, and the other is chosen by my co-host, which is from their specialty. So that would be anything from 1970s New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other. Today we've kind of reversed our roles and we I shall be talking about a blockbuster film and Nick will be talking about a film from the 60s. Shall we start yeah. with Nick? Yeah, so we, we're mixing it around a bit because we found a blockbuster film that we haven't seen. Um, which was a miracle which was a miracle um so yeah we, we're talking about um two films today the film that i've got is jason and the argonauts uh, from 1963 directed by don chafee and danny's film is troy uh, from 2004 directed by wolfgang peterson um so yeah um just got a bit of a synopsis here about, uh, for, for jason the argonauts before i get danny's thoughts um, so, Jason, a fearless sailor and explorer, returns to his homeland on Th- of Thessaly after a long voyage to reclaim his rightful throne. He learns, however, that he must fi- first find the magical Golden Fleece. To do so, he must embark on an epic quest fraught with fantastical- fantastic monsters and terrible perils. So, Danny, what did you think of Jason and the Argonauts? Um, it was so... it was good... I enjoyed it. It was it was it was a good thrill, I think. Um I felt it was a bit dated. Uh but overall a good film I reckon. Um I have a few notes. Uh, I I got a bit excited as soon as I saw uh Bernard Herrmann's um name on the credits. I think his music is brilliant. He's like the John Williams before there was John Williams. He's like the grad- godfather of John Williams. Um and I think his music in this film accounts for at least more than half of the suspense. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I just felt like there was a bit, I was a bit distracted by the people, by the actors, sort of haircuts and very modern looking faces. Um, I was interested, if I find it interesting how the gods were represented in this one that i thought it was a bit a, a godly representation of the gods uh unlike what homer has written or like what the greek mythology is telling us um when i was reading greek mythology the gods are very much more capricious and human and like jealous and i mean to see hera as being quite reasonable and helpful was quite surprising for me yeah, it is quite surprising, really. <laughs> Having, you know, she's always, like, scheming and she's never very uh, nice to humans in general. Um, I found the acting, um, with the exception of Honor Blackman, who was incredible, um, I found the acting to be a bit wooden. I thought it was not hammy enough. 
especially the actress playing Medea, who I thought she was like the worst thing that could happen happen to this film. I thought she looked like a Bridgie Bardot wannabe, uh, not a Greek woman. Uh, it was kind of funny, I thought. Um, but yeah, the, I think the best one, the best thing about this film is is the music. The music throughout is very good at keeping one on the edge of one's seat, despite the fact that all the monsters um, that Jason and his team of merry men are finding on on their quest. Um, I, they're, they look a bit sinister, but they're not making that much damage. Um, so sometimes they look scary, but most of the times they don't, and you don't see them like being as menacing as one might have hoped them to be. Um, however, the music helps with the tension, I think, a lot. I found myself kind of on, on the edge of my seat, but it was mainly to do with the music, like the crescendo and the drumming and all that. Um, especially when, I forgot the name of the titan, like the um, bronze titan that tries to kill them. The one Talos. with the... Yes, that's the one. Um, I... Um, I don't know. Towards the end, when when the um king of that island where Medea is from, sorry, I'm very bad with these names. Um, I've completely forgotten myself, so that's fine. Yeah. So yeah, I have to revi um, revisit my um, Greek mythology. When he announces that the skeletons cannot be beaten and uh, they're the most sinister things that could ever happen to man. I could I was like oh dear this is yeah this is a bit of a showdown but it just I mean the work of the skeletons in terms of technical achievement is great but it didn't it weren't they weren't as invincible as one might have expected uh I mean as soon as Jason jumped into the water you could see that they couldn't swim a bit like the white walkers in game of thrones so yay, <laughs> they were beaten. But yeah, overall I enjoyed it. It was it was a good film. Um, it was quite a journey. Um, it just felt a bit of its time. I don't think it has aged that well. Uh, having said that, I think the the technical part of it is is incredible. So yeah, it was quite enjoyable overall. Okay. Um, so the name of the place where Medea is from, from, from is called Col Col Colchis. Um, That's the one. So yeah, uh, it's see. I find it really interesting that you've said that. It, that I don't know. Like you, you say that the film is very much of its time, of its era, and then go on to not give the credit where credits due of the special effects. Which I is did. The reason... I, I just said. I, I just said it was very tech. It's quite a technical achievement. No, I mean, I mean, in terms of the fact that they're not um, like as imposing or, or frightening, or you know, they're not giving the effect that they should be. Um, I think maybe I think putting it in context with where when it was from, um, I think it deserves a lot more respect i don't say respect is the wrong word but i just think it, it, it needs a bit more of a consideration 
Because I mean, like in, in the I did 1960s, not mean to be. I did not mean to be disrespectful. I was. I was just saying that I love. I it was quite a technical achievement. I think it it deserves all the respect it can get. It was great. I just felt okay. like the acting and and all the, like the makeup acting and everything else was a bit wooden and it just it it didn't that that's what I meant. I think the technical okay. achievement is kind of carrying the whole film through. I think it was incredible, especially the skeletons at the end. Okay, okay. I mean, maybe I I kind of miss. No, sorry. It was just like way. I felt it was just. I mean the the this this suspense was great, uh. But you see, I mean the the um the harpies were scary-ish um uh, but then you felt you felt more like sympathy towards the blind man um the multi-headed beast i don't know if it it just felt like it wasn't it was quite be beaten quite soon and it was like it didn't make it didn't create that much damage before it was it was vanquished and the skeletons, I think the skeletons were the best part of the of the of the monsters. Yes, and it's Talos kind of, was it's... Mm, a bit yeah, wooden. Yeah, <laughs> well, the like, thing is with Talos as well. Yeah, like you got to think that he like it's very intentional the way he moves because he's made of bronze. Yeah, it wouldn't really make sense if he moved like differently you know, yeah differently like it kind of does have that kind of mechanical like Harry Harrison did come out and say like you know it was a bit weird that he always tried to make these movements of these stop motion figures like as fluid as possible but then you have Talos which is made out of bronze he kind of had to go against his instincts of making it fluid so um and like you know the the multi-headed beast is actually the hydra um which he originally obviously you know we all know it's got like either you know depending on what you're reading but he's got 300 webs or 50 heads you know but that yeah. couldn't be done um yeah so it was, i think he stuck to the original seven and then it was a case of like trying to kill it without resorting to the cutting off the heads thing right like as soon as as soon as you start doing you that, get yeah making, they get more heads you get more heads and obviously that makes more of a complicated um procedure for him so it made sense that you know he would get stabbed in the chest and stabbed in the heart um and then the skeletons like you know, I the, the, I, I know. think the skeletons were the best the the best stop motion bit of of the whole film. It is what um, the film's film's known for is yeah. the skeletons. And I I do believe that I think it was Tom Hanks that that hailed it as one of the best films ever made. Yeah, and I so. think it's because and I think it's because of that. And I think um it's it is it is quite a technical achievement and it's it's brilliant. I think it's in terms of technical achievements and sort of like stop motion is is just way ahead of its time and it should get all the respect it deserves um what i thought i thought it was a bit dated when like the acting and as well as it didn't make me think that oh these are greek people it just it, it felt a bit wooden um especially uh the, the actress playing medea i just did not believe her one bit well it's really interesting that great rack cause... though because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is going to be the first time we talk about that on this on this episode. <laughs> um, so um, Jason, who uh, is played by a guy called Todd Armstrong, who I think this was his only major role 
um you know really really sad story once you once you dig into it but he he um his vocals were dubbed by british actor uh tim turner to kind of fit the british accent to the rest of the cast which was also what happened to nancy kovac as medea um her vocals were dubbed by a woman called eva haddon why um uh, it is to purely to fit in with the british accents that were coming from the rest of the cast um because um, a lot of the actors um you'd recognize from other british films i think uh, the guy that played hercules was in uh, zulu nigel green and the Ipocris file these kind of they're all oh, kind of yeah i, th- I was british like, character I, actors i've seen the Ipocris file i was trying to place him because I, I i recognize his face but i couldn't place him okay. yeah so like ev- everyone else apart from todd armstrong and nancy kovac are from britain uh, you know england ireland scotland you know they're, right they're, right so it kind of it it made sense you know it's not like nowadays where you watch a film and they all got accents and all from all over the place you know like some of them kind of get away with um the film the film itself i mean i i think it's a very effective adventure jaunt of the era like i no it is um like the plot moves along at a really startling place um it consistently moves the action from one place to another and I think it really gives the motivations of Joe some actual meaning. Um, I think in that in that respect, I think it's really good. And I mean, you say about Jason, like the actor playing Jason, Todd Armstrong. I mean, I think he did a good job. I mean, I think his performance is really quite strong. And for the era, you know, it's quite fitting uh, in the 1960s. And it's quite stereotypical, the kind of heroes that we see from films like this. Um, you know, I, 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 yeah, I think he's... I think he's perfectly serviceable in the role. Um, you know, later on when we had when we got Clash of the Titans in 1981, you know, Perseus was played by um, Harry Hamlin. Um, it was a guy that you can literally pick out in a crowd and go, that guy looks like an actor. Whereas, like, Todd Armstrong kind of doesn't look like an actor. He doesn't look like a, a star lead, um, which is probably why he didn't, you know, go kind of go the distance as it were um i just i I do want to just quickly touch on his story because like it's really quite sad um so like he his main his, his really his only starring role was in jason and the argonauts um and he had another he was in another world war ii film called king rat in 1965 and he was kind of just doomed to do tv work um and bit parts here and there um, and then in 1992, he kind of suffered an injury while working and soon became addicted to painkillers. Um, after this, he committed suicide by shooting himself on November 17th of that same year. He was 55. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, it's a really quite a sad story. Um, like, you know, he, he had this, you know, had this major role and kind of ended up doomed to TV work and kind of being a, almost a footnote, as it were um so yeah like i i I, yeah i i think he's really i think he's really good in the role i think he does exactly what the role needs it to be doing um whereas you get someone like honor blackman as Hera, who does a great job at selling what really is a thankless role to be honest um you know her interactions with zeus uh played by niall mcginnis um are a highlight for me like you know, yeah, I think is... she did. Re- I I loved those scenes, and I think that I I don't know if I could save this for like gods 
Olympian gods, but I wanted more of them. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like Zeus is kind of portrayed as a bit of a dick, and Hera. But he's always a dick. Out. She's a dick like, too. They both yeah, deserve know, each other. Yeah, I know, but like in this film, like Zeus is portrayed as a bit of a dick when Hera kind of calls him out on his shit, um, which is yeah. kind of pretty much how I envisioned them to be. Um, you know, the, the I think the the representation of the gods in Jason the Argonauts is quite close to my vision as how I see them in my own mind you know the fact that they bicker and they wager and they're yeah kind of seen as benevolent and manipulative and you know they sit high up and they kind of just mock everybody else below them um um yeah I, i've always imagined them a bit more capricious and more jealous of one another so to have them being very friendly and and sort of like amiable um was a bit unexpected for me because i've always seen them like very much I mean they both scheme and that's it's portrayed um accurately but I th you know she is really reasonable and I did not expect her to be reasonable I expected her to be like a total um crazy person <laughs> but then it wouldn't it wouldn't really work then would it I mean like I think it kind of makes sense for Hera to be the god that's kind of helping him rather than say someone like Athena or Apollo I think yeah. Hera kind of matches and kind of works a bit better because obviously everybody knows that she's married to Zeus yeah. so it kind of that kind of works in terms of in terms of what's serviceable for the film which is really weird that I'm going to say that because I say something later on about our other film where I think doing something for the film is kind of detrimental to it so I think in this in this aspect I think it's a, it was a good thing I think everything they, all the choices they made for the film work um for what the story that they're trying to tell um which i mean really i mean the way the film ends is it kind of implies that there's going to be the sequel i mean zeus says that he isn't done with jason yet and then the film ends um and then when you get hercules leaves the group um which was really quite gutting because he was the best character um, i know i was like very surprised like, i was like what's happened to hercules yeah, and then Hera says that Zeus has plans for him, which obviously implies, you know, the labours of Hercules, which we never actually see in a film um, in this kind of universe. I think it would have been really cool to have, like, another film done by the same filmmakers or in the same style, but with Hercules doing his labours. Um, yeah, because I think that's more well-known than Jason and the Organists, in it, my exactly. mind. I mean, nowadays, if you kind of have those dangling story threads, you know, the fiend is deemed a fa failure if you don't follow up on them. You know, yeah. you kind of kind of look at Tom Cruise's The Mummy from 2017 as an example of it. I um, have not seen that. I, I don't recommend it. Although in, in that <laughs> film, you do get Russell Crowe doing an East End London accent. And it is truly, it? It's truly amazing. Really? Um, yeah, he plays Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it is honestly in incredible. Yeah, I have no. to watch it just because of that. Oh no! It's when I say incredible, I don't mean in the good way. I mean that oh. it's, it's it's truly incredible because I can't believe it got as far as it did. Oh, is it on the that... same line as as Robert Downey Jr. doing a Welsh accent in Doctor Doolittle? I've not seen Doctor Doolittle, so I can't. Comment. I've I've heard stories that it was not very good at all. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I, I think like watching The Mummy is a good case study for how bad a film can be and how not to set up something. 
um and i i will be getting on to it hopefully at some point because of my tom cruise thing that i'm working on so anyway we'll, we'll move on from that because i can talk about the mummy and tom cruise till the cows come home um okay. so as we've kind of discussed the film is of its era it has a lots of charm and it's in my opinion it's considerably well made which finally brings me on to Ray Howard, Harryhausen, which was the main reason why I chose this film. So he's the guy that's responsible for the visual effects for this and films like uh, The Beast from 20,000 Phantoms, which Fathoms, which is seen as a precursor to Godzilla and or Godzilla and the uh, giant monster movies. It actually came out a year before Godzilla or Godzilla in 1953. Um, he also did 20 million miles to earth earth versus the flying sources which are like these very um science fiction 1950s b movies um uh, very impressive special effects in both of them uh, and he also did uh he has his own kind of trilogy of sinbad films um in one of them there is uh, sinbad fights a skeleton who um who actually makes is one of the seven skeletons that was repurposed for the children of the hydra's teeth which is i think a really interesting fact um and he did the 1981 film clash of the titans which i and then he retired basically after that um so his his development of stop motion and animation kind of inspired directors like george lucas spielberg del toro peter jackson um you know techniques he pioneered kind of ended up in the original star wars trilogy and you know the the stop motion uh visual effect um that he kind of came up with and and kind of helped um bring to the forefront you know it, it was his kind of thing like it was the it was going to be the visual effect direction that jurassic park was going to take um until computers came along um I don't know if I mean I'm I don't know if you have any familiar familiar familiarity with Harryhausen um apart uh, from not, not before this film no but you know of like you've always heard his name is that is that yeah. is that right yeah yeah um so in my research for this um I came across like an edited extract from a book on Harryhausen in the Guardian um, which I'm going to put to a link to in the show notes. Um, I really highly, highly recommend reading the article because it's about um, the behind the scenes of Jason and the Argonauts uh, specifically. Um, and hopefully I will get around to actually getting these books on Harryhausen because I don't own any. <laughs> um, I'm going to give uh, one of the quotations from the article, which is from this uh, on the skeleton army. There's this kind of gives a very clear indication of the hard work um the innovation that he put into the film and what i feel is it's very um it's like this behind the scenes look on movie magic because for me like when i think of movie magic i think of moments like jason fighting the argon uh fighting the skeletons you know what i mean like elf you know talos on the beach you know like that that yes. is like movie magic it in is my opinion. it is um so the, the quote is I had three men fighting seven skeletons and each skeleton had five appendages to move in each separate frame of the film. This meant that these 35 animation movements each synchronized to the actor's movements. Some days I was producing less than one second of screen time. In the end, the whole sequence took a record four and a half months. Wow. Um, which is insane. Um, he later states in this, in this article that Columbia submitted the picture to the American Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences the oscars to everybody else 
for consideration as a special effects contender. We expected it to at least earn a nomination for visual, visual effects, but it was ignored. The picture that won was Cleopatra. I'm told by certain I'm told by certain Academy members that my film was seen then as nothing uh, nothing very extraordinary, but how could that be when at the time nothing like it had ever been done for the screen? Wow. Um, and, and there's a slight tragedy to that recurring question because it was never I... something it was something that had never been done before. Um, but was dismissed by those that had been. This is not the first time we've said this, but it's dismissed by something by by people that are kind of appointed to kind of give recognition to those that deserve it. Yeah. And yet they give it to Cleopatra. I feel we have to address at one point in our podcast. Um, I I feel we have to dedicate a whole episode to Oscar fuck ups. I do feel we have to sort of dig it out and just talk about it. Because it, it's, that, it, that's it's going to be an episode. Yeah, that's going to be an episode for when Oscar season rolls around. I think. Yeah, I think we need to sort of do our research and come up with like really, really top, top undeserved, yeah, undeserved wins or something or like or fuck up rip offs. Or... Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because I got a whole spiel on how Slumdog Millionaire won in two thousand and eight, and The Dark Knight didn't. Um, <sighs> just, same just... with. Same with um, uh, the King's Speech winning in two thousand and ten, and not the Social Network. Um, yeah, I've I've got a whole 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 thing on, on yeah. the Oscars. That's what I'm I mean. Sure we have, have to. Well. I think I think we have to dedicate. Oh yes, I do. Uh, I think we'll have to sort of sit down and just talk about it for a whole hour. I think I think here, like in this instance, like it is that 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 would this would also be one of my top ten. I think. Is Harryhausen not getting the recognition that he deserved for this work? Um, yeah, so, I like, I mean, his, his techniques—you know—you see the men, you see the action and the scale of these things in full. You know, like you think about how Jason and his men are kind of dwarfed by Talos on the beach. Yeah, yeah, that was um, incredible. You know, like, you don't see that in movies nowadays. Like, the only film that I can think of, um, Western film, I'm going to say, because there's a lot of Japanese anime that does it does it really well um and godzilla films that do it really well but um in western films in particular the only film that even comes close is guillermo del toro's pacific rim he was very much obsessed with scale of making the monsters and the giant robots kind of dwarf humans as it were and i could see i can definitely see Harryhausen's work in what Del Toro done in Pacific Rim. There's that film is is like a mishmash of influences of of you know kaiju films of Harryhausen of anime and uh, you know it's 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 a lot it's really good but that's just me. Um and then you you know you kind of got the how like I said like how the skeletons fight Jason on the cliffs you know I mean for me that's when I think of movie magic I kind of think of that as of its purest form of what movie magic is you know that and the t-rex paddock escape from jurassic park you know like something <laughs> something something that shouldn't exist on screen like something that shouldn't exist full stop and yet we are seeing skeletons fight a man like and it's and especially in the 60s I, I think it's really truly impressive um so yeah i mean his innovations were finally honoured by the Academy in 1992 um, with a Career Academy Award for Technical Achievement. 
And you already said this, um, but at the, at the Oscar ceremony, Tom Hanks told the audience that he thought the greatest movie of all time was not Citizen Kane, not Casablanca, but Jason and the Argonauts. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was quite interesting. And I think that, I mean, you think about what that film is compared to Citizen Kane or Casablanca. Like, Jason and the Argonauts is a very... I, like I said, like I think it's just movie magic in its purest sense. Um... So, like, I kind of want to finish on something, uh, finish my thoughts on, on this. I, I don't know if you've got anything else to say. Not on, on Jason. So, when he died at the age of 92 in 2013, um, his obituary in the New York Times, which I'll also link to in the show notes, ends with a quote from Harry right, Housen. Yeah. Um, and I kind of want to, like I said, end my thoughts on Jason and Argonauts with this, too. He says, there's a strange quality in stop motion photography like in King Kong that adds to the fantasy, he said in 2006. If you make things too real, sometimes you bring it down to the mundane. And I think that's a very, like, he is kind of speaking towards the craft of his work and about the fact that it doesn't matter if something doesn't look real as long as you can see the love on screen and you can see the care and the craft and you see that there's an effort been put in then that is worth more than something that is seen as i mean i don't know if he's referring to like in 2006 whether he's referring to the what was happening in that in the mid 90s with blockbuster films kind of starting to have lots of cgi elements yeah, in probably. them probably um, um but yeah so i th- so I, he I, lived I, to be 93 god 90, that's... 90, 90, 92 yeah he did 92. He, he, wow. he, he retired he retired from filmmaking in uh, 1981 at clash of the titans um and he only released uh, he only did one film after that a short film called um uh, the rab uh, so the tortoise in the hair uh, which was a short film he originally started in 1952 and these two guys kind of dug it out uh, found a copy of it and he helped them finish it in 2002 and that was the only thing he ever did afterwards um but there's an entire book devoted to the lost movies of harryhausen um which i've read bits of and some of the stuff he wanted to do i mean it's such a shame because the unmade projects are you are sometimes more fascinating than the stuff that we actually got. But I think in this aspect with Harryhausen, like the stuff that we got is is a testament to you know his his work. And like I said I'm really happy that we actually got a chance to kind of talk about him on the podcast because uh, I think he's really because you know because I think for me with my expertise of you know blockbuster films. I, they wouldn't if you didn't have Jason the Argonauts and George Lucas hadn't seen it, would we wouldn't have, you know I don't think we would have had Star Wars and or you know we wouldn't have had Jurassic Park you know. Um, Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. I yeah I think we all I, yeah a great debt to him, and he should be more recognised and he should be more like yeah appreciated. So yeah. Um. We're moving on now to something completely different. And now for something completely different. And now for something completely uh, to... different. Every time I hear that, I imagine John Cleese wearing a bikini. Sitting on, on, the a, desk. Yeah. on a desk. 
Yeah. Yeah. With and a very, I, very I... hairy chest. <laughs> There's well, not going to be any hairy chests in this film. No, no. Um, <laughs> do do tell us about what we do see in this. <laughs> so, um, well, <laughs> this is an adaptation of Homer's great epic, Troy, the Iliad. Uh, the film follows the assault on Troy by the United Greek forces and chronicles the fates of the men involved. So, Nick, um, said, sidestepping the miracle that uh, you hadn't seen this film before, what did you think of Troy? So, I, I kind of feel really bad because I've just spoken lyrical about my love of Harryhausen and now I'm going to talk about a really stupid uh, thing that I did for this podcast. Um, I did research in that i kind of watched a lot more films than i should have done for this um so for this one film i i watched uh one two three four five six seven films for this one film um and you haven't answered my question i got i got, I got a whole thing it all links back right this is okay. this is an artfully artfully done argument right so during my research, I came to the conclusion that Gladiator, the Russell Crowe film starring Ridley Scott film from 2000, is responsible is is responsible for something surprising. Okay, so you've got to bear with me a minute. So it won five Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Russell Crowe, and it was the second highest grossing film of 2000 behind Mission Impossible 2. So what happened in the following years, which was also aided by the success of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy was that every major studio wanted in on the act of this sword and sandals epic. So Universal started it with Gladiator in 2000. Bruckheimer and Touchstone, aka Disney, because it pretty much is Disney, um, released King Arthur in 2004, which is a retelling of the Arthurian legend set in the Roman era of Britain. Warner Brothers distributed, but they didn't fund the European co-production of Alexander, directed by Oliver Stone, starring Colin Farrell and many, many terrible accents. Uh, Ridley Scott returned to the historical epic with Kingdom of Heaven, produced by 20th Century Fox in 2005. And then we have today's film Troy, which was produced by Warner Brothers. And because of all of these films together, we got Rome, TV series such as Rome, Spartacus and Game of Thrones. And who co-wrote Game of Thrones and wrote Troy? David, David Benioff. Benioff. So in conclusion, Gladiator is responsible for the shit show of the final two seasons of the biggest TV series of all time. <laughs> and Troy had all the hallmarks of the bad and the good things of Gaming Thrones. So, I told you it was worth it. I told you it was worth it. You still haven't answered my question. So I'm going to do the good stuff first. The casting Did of you Brad like Pitt, it or not? I um. Ah, uh, I. Yes or no? I did. I did like it, but I have a lot of issues with it. Okay. Okay. So like, the good, the good stuff. The casting of Brad Pitt. Yes. I think he allows he allows the character of Achilles to be much more nuanced and conflicted than he needs to be. <laughs> Like, there's no reason for him to be as nuanced there, <laughs> as he should there, be. There's all the reasons for him to be as conflicted as he is. Please. <sighs> hey, quick question. Why would you choose a lifetime of happiness but be forgotten at the end and or 
die young and be remembered for all eternity. I mean, I didn't get that from the film, but okay. What? That's the whole film. Is it? <laughs> did you not I mean, hear? Did, I, did you did you not get his conversation with his mother when he tells him that if you you sit you stay at home, you find a girl, you you settle down, you get married, you have kids, but when the kids die and then their kids after them, your name will be forgotten. I, and then if you go to Troy, you will your name will be resonate through the ages, but you will die in Troy. Okay. I mean, uh, I think, again, that, that goes with my issues of the film. Like, the things aren't as clear as they really could be. I think, I think the reason why you know that so well is because you've seen the film much more times than I think many people have seen Troy. Um... Okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. The cat. I think the casting of the film is its strong point. So, like I said, Brad Pitt is really good. We watched the director's cut, by the way, which meant we got a lot more Peter O'Toole. Can I say something? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, just on this thing that um, so just just to recap slightly on on Brad Pitt's sort of like agenda and what drives him forward, um, when. Odysseus, played by Sean Bean, comes to him and he says, they're going to talk about this film for ages and ages. They're going to talk about this this battle, this war, for a thousand years. That's his pitch. And then his argument with Agamemnon is about, again, Agamemnon says that hero, uh, the history will remember he, uh, kings, not, not fighters, not warriors. Again, this whole thing is about him becoming famous after he dies. It's been, it, it's actually being mentioned more than twice, three times. Okay. I, I maybe, maybe I just missed it because I was distracted by other things of the film. Like how beautiful Brad Pitt is? <laughs> I mean. Sorry, sure, I just. <laughs> hey, he is gorgeous. But okay, I'm sorry. Go on. So so wait, 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 hang on. We'll have a quick we'll have a quick side thing on Brad Pitt in a minute. So there is a shot in the film where Roseburn as um Briseus is lying on her side and you see her back and, and you know her hips and what have you, and Brad Pitt is stood up and I swear if there was an extra inch you would see a yes, significant yes, portion I know, of his penis. I know I know what you're talking about. I know what scene I may have watched that scene. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danny, Danny's getting a bit red on the other side here. No, <laughs> you can't see me. You don't know. <laughs> so anyway, can I go back to my casting point? Yes, please? I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> so continue. We watched, we watched the director's cut, which meant that we got a lot more Peter O'Toole than you know the normal theatrical. There's cut, no so enough. There's not enough Peter O'Toole. There isn't, but he brings an empathy and a sadness to King Priam of Troy, which I I, I was not expecting. Um, Brian Cox him. is is hamming it up majorly as Agamemnon, <laughs> and I, it was amazing. Like watching Brian Cox just oh, proper ham it up. I um, know it's brilliant. 
And the scenes he had with Brendan Gleeson as, as his on-screen brother, where they're just... <gasps> they literally... I think they had a wager to see who could bring the most ham to the scene. Wouldn't you like to no... see a, a, like a, a prequel to this? Just those two. Just those two, just talking. Just those two talking. I know. It'd be the best film ever. Um... And then finally, uh, Eric Banner, um, he, in my opinion, he steals the film as Hector. Um, he completely steals the film as Hector. I, even though I know the story, and even though I know what happens to Hector, I really didn't want him to die. And the I film know. suffered. It's like when we watched... Um, oh, we watched something else recently. Yeah, it was West Side Story we watched. And the film oh. suffered after the the main the main people died. I can't remember West Side Story now, but the after they died, the film suffered. And the same thing happens here. And I don't think that's because, like in West Side Story, the characters needed to be there, or you know, the character the film suffered because of the loss of characters. I think the film suffered in this aspect because Eric Banner was so good as Hector that you kind it's of missed him brilliant. on the screen. I think I think he it was a, a breakthrough role. I don't remember seeing his name on many credits before this film ah in 2003 he was in Ang Lee's Hulk the the masterpiece which is Ang Lee's Hulk what oh yeah. that came uh, played... that came before I thought that came after no that was 2003 that came out okay okay because so, yeah, I remember no, was, yeah I, I, did, I did not know time. yeah it was right about the time where Eric Banner's profile was going from the Australian films he was kind of known for and kind of breaking out into Hollywood. Um, it's kind of the same era, so... I think um, he's a brilliant actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, another thing I think was really good was the fight sequences, when they when they happen, I think are very well choreographed, and I think the duels are very much... They're almost like a dance with swords, I thought. Especially the duel between Hector and, and Achilles. Um, I think they are very shot effectively and compared to some other films that are current happening at the moment. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, I'm trying to think of a film with swords that is the last five, ten years that I can think of. John, does it no. me? No, I don't know. no. Anyway, the, I th I think they, the, 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 these action sequences are very very short effectively, and I think they're very easy to follow, and that was its strength. So, this is kind of where we get onto the the negative stuff. Um, so and as an adaptation of the film of the myth, I think the f the film ignores the epic scale, um, choosing to condense the film into days rather than years. And one of the benefits from watching all the films that I, I the, the films that I watched, I watched um, Alexander, for example, Oliver Stone's Alexander. That film is across decade. That film is across a good decade or so. It's and not a film, very good film, though. The director's cut is really good, but it is. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, it kind of has this epic scale to it, and I think it works really well. Same with. Um, Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven and uh, Gladiator, which kind of takes place over the course of like a year or a couple of years or so. But even so, like it kind of, they do have feel like this epic scale, whereas Troy kind of is condensed down into days rather than years. And I think it, for me, like uh, maybe it's because I have an attachment to the, the story of the Iliad and, and Greek mythology as a whole. Like I just, 
I need. I it didn't. It lost that epic scale, in my opinion. Do you think it would have made it better if they've if they've shown the passing of time? Would it added more to the story? I think there is a way of doing it. I think which would have benefited the film, but how I don't know without actually looking at the script and watching the film and again and rereading the story. So I'm doing the armchair critic thing of saying I can do a better job sat in my armchair and of just course. watching it once. Um, so again, I think it gets better on second viewing. To be fair, okay. So as like again, kind of attached to this like adaptation of the myth, the story treats important characters of the myth like Ajax and Odysseus, played by Tyler Mayne and Sean Bean, respect Sean Bean, respectively like side characters only worthy of the little only really worthy of little screen time even the director's cut they don't really get much in the terms of character um so rather than in the story where we see he sees uh, ajax for example is is killed in the film so whereas in the story like he sees achilles die and then he mourns him and then he kills himself because he doesn't receive the armor and his arc is a very very interesting arc um, in the film, it treats him as this heavy muscle with little personality, as other than rage. Um, okay. Odysseus, who, despite getting a really great little intro scene, I was like, when a you know scene scene being arrived, I was like, hey, because it's always great to see him. <laughs> and I think his scene on with the tree and his dog, I think that was brilliant. It was a really good way of introducing him. He's kind of given little to do apart from argue with Agamemnon um and you know we kind of have his relationship with achilles alluded to but apart from the one exchange which you referred to it, it kind of there's nothing else there and um in... i yeah i do um, agree with you on that one i wanted to see more of of sean bean as odysseus yeah. so scene bean I, I call him scene bean because that's how my family refers to him like sean, in game of thrones his name sean is bean. Sean. Oh, sean bean then like in Game of Thrones, I think he's underused. So there is another Game of Thrones link there. Um, I think he's oh, underused, yes. and but unlike Game of Thrones, he actually lives to fight another day. Um, yes, I would have liked to see to see the the, the Odyssey with him. Yeah. I would have so, loved to have seen that film. I have a point on this. So speaking of that, right, this film made a shit ton of money. Like it was the eighth highest grossing film of two thousand and four, and it is still sixteen years later in the top 250 of highest grossing films of all time right which is insane yep. 16 years like you think of all the other films that have come out blockbusters that come out it's still in the top 250 hey it's How... a great film okay i'm i'm that's that's a matter of opinion so why why <laughs> did why did we not get a sequel to this you know oh. about the other book written by homer concentrating on scene bean on his odyssey that would have been amazing i would have that preferred would have that been. that would have been so good i know we have to pitch it to the to the warner brothers um <laughs> and then kind of to link in another game of thrones thing so the representation of women um whilst it can be argued that is maybe representative of the era it could have been updated a bit more to the to the you know, at least the mid two thousands, despite how problematic the mid two thousands were in Hollywood, and you know, it's it wasn't as you know, it's not as bad now, but it's still pretty bad. So, Diane Kruger, in my opinion, despite her great assets, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
she is okay she is wasted as helen um she, i don't think she, she's a very good actress in general have I you seen think... inglorious bastards yes she's excellent i mean okay that. fine 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 that one but i think given it given the good role i think diane kruger is excellent she's also excellent in the national treasure films but that's a story for another day <sighs> um so okay. she is nothing more than a trophy than that her reputation kind of was made out to be you know kind of she's only just there just to ogle at orlando boom's paris who again has a shot which is like exactly like brad pitt's where if it was at least an inch zoomed out and angled up a little bit you would see a lot of his penis but who wants to see that what orlando boom's <laughs> dick i don't know not me um okay um Rosebin uh is kind of the same as Briseis. You know, she's introduced as this virgin of Apollo, um, yet is taken by Achilles with a no sense and there's not really any sense of shame to her god. Like she says that she's committed herself to Apollo and yet Brad Pitt comes along with his amazing abs and that's it. She's you know, she has one tissy fit and then that's it, she sleeps with him. I think that would be enough for most women. Okay. and also 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 have to you have to think about the fact that in the story this happens over the course of many years yeah and they've condensed it down so you have to keep in time with with the pacing you know okay so this happens over the course of many years and um if you take that into consideration you kind of understand what her trajectory is so even it like so the treatment of women here in my example in my in my opinion is an indicator of how they would go on to treat daenerys in the first season of the game of thrones and then go on to mistreat her in the following seasons again there's a game of thrones link in almost every single one of my points and it so, makes sense because it's david benioff so your argument is that david benioff does not know how to write women and my argument is david benioff doesn't know how to write a film because it's not just it's not just Troy that he doesn't know how to write. It's also um, Gemini Man uh, from Ang Lee last year, which was an excellent film in its science fiction things. But it was also written by David Benioff, and there was a lot of tropes of what his writing style is like. And it's like there's nothing more you need, more David. What are you doing? Come on, develop. Have you seen the Twenty Fifth Hour? He wrote uh, that too, and it's a great film. Give that a go. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, in the comedy track for the film, Benioff states that when he, because I did a bit of research on this as well, like he states that when deciding what to do for the film, he always thought about what was best for the film and not take ideas or not from what came from the book. And it kind of shows the ending is rushed. The sacking of Troy is impactful, but it kind of. Like it, like I said, the condensing of the story condense a major part of this story into one sequence, and it just feels almost disappointing and unclimactic, and which kind of all sounds an awful like the criticisms that came out of the final season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm wrapping up my points here now. Okay, okay. So, out of the sword and sandal epics of Follow Gladiator, I think Troy is perhaps the one with the least personality. I think it's important to place Troy in this kind of reaction to Gladiator in, in the grand scheme of things. I think it's important to do that. 
Alexander kind of goes in on the homoeroticism of the era. There are, uh, uh, is so gay between Jared Leto and Colin Farrell that film, um, and it's in in comparison, the film has this. The Troy has is is substitutes the what is clearly meant to be a homoerotic relationship between Patroclus and Achilles to a brotherly love, and it's like oh god you could have could have what can i say something yeah go for it um i have the opposite argument to your argument i think what alexander did was get so confused in all the stories and all the gossip and like all the uh, unconfirmed storylines that he didn't know what kind of film to be so he put everything in there like all the oh we don't know what happened in this battle so we'll just let the battle unended we don't know if he was if, if he was gay or bi or, or or stray so we're gonna put everything in i think what troy decided to do was just go with one story and just stick with it rather than confuse the hell out of the, the audience which when i saw alexander i thought it was very confusing well, like I, like I said before, I watched the director's cut or the the last final cut of Alexander because Alexander has as as many cuts as Blade Runner, um, and this this version was just under three hours long, which is a full hour longer than the director's cut and the theatrical cut. It's like I said, it's as confusing as Blade Runner. What I think is with Alexander that this version of Alexander that I saw, it does go all in on the homoeroticism. There are sequences where, you know, it doesn't excuse it doesn't kind of shy away from the fact that that the greeks loved men um and idolized man as well as woman um and you can also i can i can also see in this version i'm going to keep referring to this because i think you know like in the my version of alexander that i saw you i could see a distinct style and signature of the filmmaker i could see oliver stone in that film i don't think i could see wolfgang peterson in this film of troy and i don't know if wolfgang peterson is the kind of filmmaker to be doing that like to kind of have his own distinct style but this is the guy that did das boots you know like he has he's a very very competent filmmaker very i think he's great and i think filmmaker. he did a really i think he's great and i think he did a very good job on this film okay and once um, you're done with um analyzing it maybe i can say a few words yeah but cool. let me know when you're done <laughs> um so King Arthur kind of repurposes the myth into a different era, and in my opinion, it kind of succeeds. Um, it's not overly spectacular, but it does try to do something different. And Kian Knightley as Guinevere in that film has more agency and more motivation than a thousand Helen of Troys. Um, Ridley Scott with Gladiator and the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven kind of bookends this little mini era of historical epics. With, with much more grace than Troy, and he understands, in my opinion, the meaning of the word epic. I did like Troy, okay? I just want to underline this. I did like it. I just feel it wasn't as short of a film as it could have been, especially when you put it in context of the similar films that were, like I said, a direct result of Gladiator's success. I think it is a film with very strong performances, well-choreographed fight sequences, but it suffers, in my opinion, from the same writing issues that would go on to plague Game of Thrones over a decade later. So that's kind of... I, I got there in the end. I 
I got there in the end. I like I said, I I have issues with the film, and I think it's very very much attached to what would my issues be with Game of Thrones. And I for me, I couldn't separate the two. Once I I learnt the fact that David Benioff, when I saw his name pop up in the credits. I, I almost kind of knew exactly what I was going to be in for. Oh, imagine if you hadn't known, if you had, if you didn't have that in, on the back of your mind, what that imagine, would have been imagine, like. Imagine if I would have sneezed when his his name popped up and I missed it. And yes. then at the end, it, would have popped, oh. I, it may have been a completely different experience, but I didn't and it, I saw it and I, I, I did like the film. Okay, oh. I did like it. I just okay. think in 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 where it stands <laughs> in this context of like I said like I watched six other films for this like because I felt I kind of had to kind of understand the context of what it was made in because I'm insane like that. Um, I just um, think that it's I think not, you've, I think you've yeah. put too much context. I, th- I think you've put too much emphasis on the context. Okay. Um, but uh, go on, then. Re- I know rebuttal rebuttal away. I, I need the rebuttal. Fine. Um, but you know, it, it, like you said, it's subjective. Um, I really, really enjoyed this film. I've seen it, I think four or five times. Uh, I remember, I remember the experience I had when I went into the cinema to watch it back in 2004. It was, I thought it was incredible. It just, for me, um, with all, all what you've said in terms of performances and the hammy, as well as, I mean, I love the, ha- I love really, really, I really love Hammy performances. One of my favorite actors of all time is John Barrymore, and he's as hammiest as possible in all his films. I love, I love the Hammy, I love Brian Cox and Brendan Gleeson. I think they should have had a spin off, just those two, like a prequel or something. I just, I would have seen that like every night before going to bed. It's just like, I love them too. Um, uh, it's just I think there's a feel to the film that you might get on second or third viewing. There's a film, there's a gravitas that there's something about the film that makes me go back to 1960s. In my, I just felt it just felt very like heavy with you know like importance, but not like not in a serious way, in a very like hammy way. Um. I loved I, I I love the script. I know you don't you didn't like the script, but I just I just thought it was it was incredible. There's lots of memorable lines. I thought it was incredible. Um I could quote the entire film, but I'm just going to quote a couple of things. Um imagine a king who fights his own battles, wouldn't that be a sight? Um or like women have a way of complicating things. Um or uh, one of my favorite scenes of the whole m- movie when they the boat with the Mer- Merbidans, which is led by um, Achilles, are just just about to um, reach Trojan Beach, and and Achilles goes, "You know what's waiting beyond that beach? Immortality. Take it. It's yours." That again, um, m- with my point about him searching for immortality more than anything else that's driving him forward. He just he just lives for immortality. Um, I think I think Wolfgang Peterson is incredible. Uh, I think he manages to give that old timey feel to to the films. Uh, when when Brad Pitt says immortality, take it, it's yours. There's I think there's a slow motion to it that brings everything sort of like makes everything make sense. 
um, like you said, I think Brad Pitt, um, what can I say? I think he gets better with age. He's a bit hammy in this, but it just works. Um, the epicness of the production, I just, I just felt it was, it was on point. Uh, the lavishness of, of, of everything. You see that like zoom out of all the, like the fleet of the Greeks going into war. It's just, it, I don't think it gets more epic than that, in my opinion. Um, Eric Banner, like you said, is brilliant. Um, I yeah, Julie Christie, Peter O'Toole. I just wanted to see more of them on the on the screen. Um, Sean Bean is always adorable, and yay, he doesn't die in this. Uh, like I said, I wish I I'd, I'd seen a sequel to this showing us how he got home. I bet that was so, a great journey. So do I. I want to see that film. That was. I think that might have been really quick journey, wasn't it? Just nip back back to Ithaca. <laughs> um diane kruger i just don't i don't think she was believable i just yeah i didn't care much about her character like you said not much agency um i felt uh more about i think saffron burrows did much better job as andromache um being more like um assertive and just yeah being you you'd feel her pain when hector dies um Orlando Bloom, I think, I think this is the one role that he was fit to play because he's the naive, silly, pretty boy who causes trouble. I don't think he's a very good actor in general, and I think everything else that he's been in that I've seen, like Pirates of the Caribbean, is made me cringe. But I think in this one, you kind of want it, the whole role is about not liking him. Well, they got uh, him. To, they got him to do his his Legolas stick, which I thought was quite cool. Um, it was like if you're gonna have Orlando in your in your film, and you have and you have a reason for him to have a bow and arrow, like yeah, you, you've got to have yeah, him do the, the, yeah, the arrow thing. Yeah, um, I know. Um, I, I I think in this film you're not supposed to like him, which is which worked because I don't like him at all. I just yeah. no, no, I didn't either. Uh, I love the fact that unlike Jason and the Organists, the gods don't make an appearance. Not to say that I didn't like the gods being in Jason and the Organons because we've discussed it and it, they, it works in that film but I think in this film it makes the mortals faith in the in the gods all the more palpable and and more realistic because it just goes back to people in ancient times were indeed all that superstitious and they were looking to the sky for omens and signs from the gods and I think that was very well done um I think it kind of made it, it. I think, in my opinion, it makes it all like as if it really happened. I mean, historians don't really know if this war actually happened, but you you feel like it could have, because there's no gods in in the story in Homer's story. The gods take sides, and the gods are actually present at at the battle, so they kind of scheme behind like behind the scenes. But because these the gods are not here. It kind of makes you feel like, okay, these are some Greeks and some um, Trojans just fighting it off. It's just, it's just as if as it was, and I think, and 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 that's why I think that's why women have much lesser roles because women weren't, unlike yeah, the women were their part of of decision making process back then. I think that is, I think that like like I'm, I think the fact that it's treats. The religious they they they, they, they treats the gods as religious deities 
in a very really realistic depiction of the story and i think that is very much influenced by ridley scott's gladiator um okay. i think i think if this film was to be made in another without that film as it's kind of you know starting off point because I, I think like i said i think what happened was somebody at warner brothers went oh well, that's pretty good can we do that what have we got what can we get troy that's trojan story okay right and you know they went this very much influenced by that i think if it was made in another era i think we would have had liking jason the argonauts the gods kind of in the background thing i i, I think it's very very much part of you know like i said this kind of trying to make the sword and sandals thing as realistic as possible okay um um i'm not a, i'm not much of a sword and sandals person so i don't really seek out battle scenes or uh, epic war epics from ancient greece and whatnot but i i was drawn in by this and i think you've you've touched on it when you said that the choreography of the battle scenes were was truly incredible um and i felt i felt it i, I i'm not much i don't it, it for me these all the battle scenes and all the battle movies have been like well look at the ceiling or what whatever but in this one i was drawn in it was just very well done i thought um in the scene where patroclus is wearing um achilles's armor it was actually brad pitt in his own armor in in, in his achilles armor um before the before he takes off his his um sh um helmet and and reveals himself to be patroclus it was actually brad pitt because he, he moved like him um also in the the final battle between achilles and hector i thought that was fascinating to watch um to me it felt like the whole film has just been building up to that point and then you get it and it does not disappoint i thought it was much better writing than the final season of game of thrones in my opinion <laughs> um because you get you get it's building up to something and that final scene that final battle it is what it should be it is what but, everyone has been expecting but but okay right uh, uh, counterpoint the battle between hector and achilles is like the battle of the bastards in game of thrones the sacking of troy right built up to this entire massive moment is like the fight is like the fight between the white walkers and westeros and like it's it's just uh, it's over oh there it oh okay it's like they go over the wall here's a dragon oh no he's dead you know spoilers for game of thrones um <laughs> um and uh, the second of troy has the same kind of thing the whole film kind of beats up to this moment of hector versus achilles and it's very very powerful and very very effective like the battle of the bastards but then you have I don't the know what Troy, I mean, and then it brings on, and it's kind of like, oh, oh it's, no, it's over. It's the sacking of Troy. What did you expect? In the extended version, there's a lot of detail, gruesome detail of babies being thrown out against walls and and stuff like that, which I found super super bad. And also in the sacking of Troy, Briseis manages to kill um, Agamemnon. By the way, spoiler alert, which I think is pretty awesome i just felt um, i just felt it was very i just thought it was rushed i that's all i that's what i thought i just thought it was quite it was a rushed 
thing. How long made... did you want it? How I... long did you want Troy to burn for? I mean, how how much? I mean, would it have been like half an hour of of well, like, seeing the city, the people city being is... killed? The city is meant to be massive, and it just felt as though <sighs> within moments the city was all on fire. Like you have a literally a moment where King Priam is looking out on the city and he sees it burning. And or he sees like it burning very far away, and the next thing you know, it's happening on his doorstep. And it was like it was there was no okay. there was no build up to it. It's not like, for example, I'm trying to think of another example of a of a city wow. which is um here we go like um the Battle of Helm's Deep in Two Towers or uh, the invade you know Minas Tirith for example. The way those the way those action sequences set out and kind of build up to this like. There's like a layering of them, as it were. Okay. It's like a, a layering of, of the invasion of the city. And, you know, maybe it's because I've seen other examples and I think it could have been done better. Like I said, again, maybe I'm just doing the armchair critic thing again. But there we go. I, I don't know. I just, for me, like I've said, like, well, I, I find, let's just I find say it that... really hard to, to excuse, you know, to, to, to not have the comparisons between Game of Thrones and this. Okay. Let's just say that you're the expert of battle scenes and i'm the layman and for me as a layman it worked i'm not an expert like i said in battle scenes and sacking of of, of cities scenes uh but for me it was actually more than enough bloodshed I th- um i think the extended version was actually a bit too much for me personally uh like the director's cut was much more graphic and i felt very uncomfortable yeah, so I mean, I, the I, the original version was more than enough sacking and 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 killing. I think like the battle scenes, like if you just if you take away the final sacking of Troy, I thought the rest of the action sequences in the film were very very good. Um, like I said, I, I watched you know Gladiator and Kingdom of Heaven, Ridley Scott, and I think he does it. He's the best at it. I think. In terms of, I didn't like Kingdom of Heaven at all. I th- I got really bored with Kingdom of Heaven, to be fair. But okay, that's just well, again, that's just me. I love Gladiator, um, but I thought Kingdom of Heaven was quite boring. Okay. But that's I mean, I don't, I don't that know, might have to do something s- with that might have to do something with Orlando Bloom being in it. <laughs> well, like the, the I really don't cut, like him. The director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven is fantastic. It is it is really really good. You do realize um, I'm never going to watch that. I uh, maybe. Um, and then like no <laughs> and then i honestly like honestly like i do think the action sequences in troy are better than the the fight sequences in the version of alexander i saw and they are uh, uh, they are kind of a, a bit more better than the action sequences of what i saw in king arthur though that's slightly different kind of kind of film the film that i can kind of compare it kind of most to is Zack Snyder's 300. Um, Let's the... not... Can I just stop you right there? Because that is a different kettle of fish altogether. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, no, I know. I, I was just going to refer to the, the way... The, the choreography. That's what I was kind of getting back to. Is the choreography in Troy... It's kind of like... You see that choreography kind of happen in 300. And I think the way the choreography is... Is very important to having an effective fight sequence especially with swords and sandals mm. and stuff i think it's very very effective and that was like that's one of the strong that was perhaps one of the only strong points of 300 and i think it's one of the, the strong points in in this film so yeah i 
I, I can I can get off my I can get off my high horse now, but um, I, I, I think I, I I do think that you have very very valid points, and I honestly like I I do like the fact that you like this film. I really um, do. I really do, and it just to be fair, like to go get back to the scene where where Brad Pitt says, you know, what's lying there behind those beaches? Immortality, take it. It's yours. And then there's a free, there's almost a freeze frame on his face, and it just feels like you've seen something like Robert Redford in the sixties, and it just it just gets me to that to that point where like it just feels so epic to so like the sm- smoldering look in his eyes and just like yeah he's he's a hero. He's he's a Robert Redford in the sixties. See that I, that it, yeah. I read a quote in my kind of research with this. Um, I read a quote from uh, from Brad Pitt actually about this film, and I don't know if I kind of want to say it or not because it might. He hated almost... it because he had to quit smoking for the duration of the film. Is that Sorry? what you're going to say? He hated filming because he had to quit smoking for the duration of the film. No, that's not what I had. Um, Go so on. I kind of had that he kind of expressed disappointment of the film. Um, he said, "This is a quote." Um, I had to do Troy because I pulled out of another movie and I had to do something for the studio. So I was put in Troy. It wasn't painful, but I realized that the way that the movie was being told was not how I wanted it to be. I made my own mistakes in it. What am I trying to say about Troy? I could not get out of the middle of the frame. It was driving me crazy. I'd become spoiled working with David Fincher. It's no slight on Wolfgang Peterson. Das Boot is one of the all-time great films. But somewhere in it, Troy became a commercial kind of thing. Every shot was like, here's the hero. There's no, there was no mystery, and I, I don't. Maybe with that quote, I can kind of see that in his performance slightly, um, but I think because Brad Pitt is a good actor, he's he's legit a really good actor. He is very I think good. He, he can, he does sell it. He does does sell it, and I think when he says, you know, he became spoiled working with David Fincher because you think at this point he'd worked with him on Fight Club and Seven. And seven. Um, he yeah. hadn't done. He hadn't done Benjamin Button at that point, but we won't talk about that. Um, no, we you know, won't. He, he, <laughs> he, you know, he, he, like Brad Pitt has kind of had this reputation of kind of choosing roles, kind of doing the, the, the Tom Cruise thing of choosing roles for the director, not for the project. Um, and I think maybe, you know, Troy was kind of, he was kind of put in this position of, oh, I'm contractually obliged to do something and this is what I've been put in. And I think he does a good job. I think he does do an admirable job with the role. And like I said, like the, in my opinion, there's no reason for Achilles to be that nuanced as he should be. Um, you know, the, you, you, you can see other actors taking on that role and just going gung-ho with it um, and not bringing a, an inner, like an inner monologue. You can kind of see Troy, like Achilles thinking, like his inner monologue kind of going and I th- yeah. through through Brad Pitt's eyes. And I think through with, with other actors... I'm not saying other actors wouldn't have been able to do it well, but I don't. I think there would have been something missing. Yeah, I just I rewatched it again yesterday, and I just I was marveling at how incredible. I mean, I've I've I've. It was one again one of my favorite scenes, but the the scene in in the tent when there's no battle, there's there's just two men talking, and you see him with Peter O'Toole as as King Priam. And you see them too, and it's just it's it's so well done, and it's just you feel those two, like almost like lost kindred spirits, and you and, and they understand each other so well. I just felt that was very very well done. And then you see Brad, if you see Achilles, 
going and and crying over the, the dead body of Hector and saying that I'll see I'll see you soon my brother and I just felt that was just brilliant writing I I think it's really weird that you, you we have those moments in this film and that we have I, I thought Fox that was movie doing... I yeah I thought that was I... movie magic <laughs> just to, I, I, to quote you to quote me i just i like i said i just think it's really weird that we have these moments of peter o'toole and, and brad pitt in that that tent that tent sequence where priam wants to have you know asks appeals to to achilles for his this, the body of his son back and i think that is a very very moving sequence it's, in my opinion it's the most it's the most effective um dramatic sequence in the film and i think that's probably no i think it's obviously a credit to to the two actors on on credit i mean you got freaking lawrence of arabia for crying out i out. know i know um and uh and that and then yet you have brian cox doing whatever brian cox is doing in the same film um i know it's like it, i love it, I love it, it, it feels like... it kind of feels out of place a little bit to have that and then also have brian cox doing whatever the hell he's doing is it though? Because Agamemnon, Agamemnon was again, it was the con, the total opposite of Priam, and in Achilles says himself, it's like, yeah, you you're much better king than this army has ever seen. Uh, contrasting Priam's sort of dignity and and he's 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 so much different than Hammy Agamemnon, and I think that's what that's where the brilliance of of this whole thing is. To see the, these two kings in opposition of each other, but yeah. Okay. Um, I, I you know I just yeah I think it's 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 one of my not one of my favorite films but I think it's one of my favorite like blockbuster epics. Um, and uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I, I'm, I... I think I'm, my notes are done. I mean, I, I remember. Um, so around about two thousand and four was when my my dad was at university studying archaeology, and he had um, a lot of, you know, he had the books on Homer and uh, Virgil, and you know all these books on Greek, you know, you know what I mean, like all these kind of books of, of the era, and you know something always kind of captivated me about seeing the the image of of the the penguin classics cover um, which i actually own myself um and just kind of being almost enthralled by the image on 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 the book cover um and then he saw troy obviously because you know it was all about what he does and um i remember him coming back to the cinema and i asked him how it was and he went oh shit okay and that yeah no I, and ever since then like as probably the main reason why I never got round to watching it was because okay. I had my dad's opinion kind of at the hmm. back of my mind at all times, and even though I have that opinion, I had that opinion still now in in the back of my head. You know, always hearing how my dad spoke about how bad Troy was for him, um, I didn't let that influence my. Are you sure? Opinion film. No, I am sure because if I did, then I wouldn't have come out and said that I liked it, which I did. I, I distinctly remember that I liked it, and I said the problems I have with it aren't linked to any issues with quality. 
um, you know, as in like with the, the cast and the action sequences and stuff, which is what I'm pretty sure my dad had an issue with. Um, okay. I think the issues I had with it are very much attached to, like I said, the the issues that we're going to see like we we see a decade on with um, that TV show that everybody's seen. And in no way Hi. have I spoiled for anyone else. <laughs> um, Daenerys dies, game... by the way. Jon Snow is, is, is her nephew. Um, Why would you say that? Stop it. I don't know. Um, um, sidestepping Game of Thrones conversation and, and the Iliad um, in its entirety. I just wanted to say one final thing that I just thought of when you were talking about how your father you, was sort of studying archaeology. And again, like what you said about you enjoying Greek mythology when you were when you were a kid, um, it just made me think of of the way Alfred Hitchcock did films because he basically went and read a book uh, that he wanted to make into a film, and then he just read it once and then just threw the book away and just whatever stuck in his mind that would be the script, that would be the story. So he basically just read the story once and just went with whatever just embellished upon it and i think that is i mean there's ways of doing that of course and hitchcock's one way of doing it but i think i think what troy what this film has done is basically do that it's just like we know the story um let's forget the story um and then just build on it on it and just put our own twist on it okay okay i'm yeah okay like I said, I'm glad that you like the film and we found a blockbuster film that I haven't seen. <laughs> um, now that that criteria is... Now that it's one of the few blockbusters I haven't seen, it's going to be interesting. There's another one shortly. Yeah, I, I remember was discussing that um, I hadn't, uh, you hadn't seen The Last Samurai and I think we've paired it with uh, um, Kira Kurosawa's Ran, which I haven't seen. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. At some yeah, point, that's, that's uh, later good. in later in later in our podcast. Yeah, I think it's in a good few weeks' time. Yeah, okay, right. So we found another blockbuster film we haven't I haven't seen. Okay, I I all right. Um, so that's us done with that, isn't it? Done cool. with Troy. I think and I think we've Jason. made it. I think we've made made it in the end. We've got to like yeah. And we got dissecting. we got through we got through it without minimal without mention killing... of Brad Pitt's abs and and distinct. <sighs> bum shots um let's not talk about it i'm gonna go, i'm gonna i'm gonna go and watch troy again <laughs> no i'm um, not okay um what have you got on for next week nick so next week we're um changing genres literally doing a hard left <laughs> um a very very hard left um a hairpin turn almost on what we're doing what we've done today um, so we kind of again mixed it up a little bit. So Danny is taking the more recent film um, in this, and I'm taking the slightly less recent film. Um, so we'll be talking about Before Sunrise, um, the first in the Before trilogy, um, directed by Richard Linklater, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Came out in 1995, and we'll pairing that with Call Me by Your Name. Uh, came out in 2017, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Did I get that right? Guadagnino. Guadagnino. I think. Um, starring Timothy Chalamet and Armie Hammer. 
um came Timothy. out Timothy sorry yeah um the the fop haired boy hey. that he is I just I just think of him in, in Little Women now. I can't get over his role in Little Women of him and Saoirse Ronan on I the think, on the moor on, the, on the hill and the hair is just think, going <laughs> I know, yeah. he's got great hair. Um I think he's perhaps much better in, in Call Me by Your Name than in Little Women. Okay. But okay. and I will be looking forward to discussing that with you on on our next episode. Yeah, so I th I think this is probably the one that has the oh no, there's in a few weeks there's one which has a seven year gap between films, but this one has a um twenty two year gap between films, um and like I said, you know, Before Sunrise is fairly recent, being nineteen ninety five, but it's probably the film that I thought of that would match it match Call Me by Your Name because you do not shut up okay. about it and um we had to talk about it on we the had podcast. to we had to talk about it yeah and, and you had hadn't seen it so we have to i had to find a way to get call me by your name on the podcast the before sunrise is is <laughs> i think the 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 hopefully Let's the, see the if connection is up yes yes cool. so next week then so danny uh where can we find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at kino Joan. And my website is kinojohn.co.uk. And we also have our Twitter account, Kinotomic. Please give us a follow. And you can find me on Twitter at Nikesh Chandler. Um, uh, my website is superatomovision.com. And I have a YouTube channel, Super Vision. Just put that to Google, uh, well, YouTube. And yeah, we've got our email, uh, kinatomic at gmail.com. Please drop us an email if you wanted to talk about how wrong I was about Troy. Um, or you want to reassure Danny that her love of the film is justified um, so yeah <laughs> please please get in contact, it would be really great to hear from, from any of our listeners um, so it is a goodbye from me and goodbye from me, see you next time